are visiting with us today, or if you're joining us for the first time after being away for a while, uh, this is our second week in a series that I'm calling Five Things That God Uses to Grow Your Faith. Last week, I just gave you an overview on these five things, and we talked about what it would be like for all of us if we had perfect confidence and trust in God. And I shared with you the story of Victor Plymeyer, a missionary to China and Tibet, who spent 16 years ministering in the Far East before he made his first convert. Uh, Shortly after that, his wife and his infant son died of smallpox. And it was like this guy was just hammered on by life. And yet he never gave up his confidence and his trust in God. He was just this spiritual giant, and, and he was awesome. And uh, you've probably known people like this. I've known people like this. And, and I think our usual reaction when we meet somebody that just has this extreme confidence in God is we usually want to give them a little more information about life, right? Thinking that maybe they'll behave a little more realistically if they just have a little bit more information. But at some point in our lives, we usually come to the place where we say, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had the simple childlike confidence in knowing that God was going to look out for my best interests. And last Sunday, uh, if you were with us, it was an awesome day. And at the end of our uh, teaching time together, I invited people to come forward and receive prayer who just wanted to take the first step of putting their faith and trust in God. And many of you have told me the stories of what God has been doing in your lives this week. Some of you, it's been a tough week, changing some things and putting your trust in God. Uh, Some of you have had big victories in your life. And I want to ask Elizabeth if you would come. Elizabeth shared with us in our first service, she came up to me during our uh, greeting time in first service and said she was one of the ones that came up in the first service. And you had a really extraordinary experience, didn't you? Um, uh, tell us a little bit about what made you leave your seat and come forward for prayer uh, last Sunday. And you're doing well. That is awesome. That is just awesome. Thank you, Elizabeth. I asked her to stay and share with us in this service because I think it's an incredible faith builder. This is what God does when we step out of our comfort zone and we just simply trust him to do something extraordinary. And today, uh, I, I'm going to push you a little bit farther, and I think God is going to continue doing some really extraordinary things in our lives. Um, God is committed to growing our faith big. And, and listen, if you will let God grow your trust and your confidence in him, your whole life is going to be different. 
Last week I shared with you five catalysts that God uses to grow our faith. And these aren't something that you're going to find in the Bible as a list, but these have been a result of Andy Stanley's ministry and his observations and then uh, a study that his team did to discover really what Christians have in common and what things God has used among so many of us to grow our faith. And I shared with you these five things, and just as a matter of review and uh, so that you know where we're going in the next few weeks, these are the five things that we're going to be talking about. The first one is practical teaching. And today I'm going to be sharing with you why you need to leverage practical teaching in your life to help your faith grow big. And then we'll be talking next week about providential relationships. These are the relationships that God brings to you. It's not a result of you going out and saying, I'm going to find a God relationship. But a lot of times it's just God putting somebody in your life. It's an intersection that changes everything. And then we'll be talking about private disciplines. These are some of the things uh, like prayer and like Bible study, fasting, tithing, giving, worship. All of these disciplines that we practice are, are one of the catalysts that God uses to grow our faith. The fourth one is personal ministry. And I know lots of you have been in this place where uh, somebody invited you to teach a Sunday school class or lead a small group or do something volunteering in church that was way out of your comfort zone. And God has used it uh, to grow your faith real big when you've said, you know, Lord, I, I am an inadequate volunteer. I don't have the skills. I haven't been to seminary. I'm not good enough. But you've gone ahead and you've done it. You've stepped out in faith. And before you know it, God meets you. God begins growing your faith. And it just changes the way you view the world and the way you view God. And then lastly, the last one we'll be talking about in a few weeks are pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. This isn't anything that you can conjure up or anything you can do, but this is when something happens in your life and God uses it to completely change you and to grow your faith. And before I jump into uh, practical teaching, which is our topic for today, I want to talk to you just a minute about uh, these pivotal circumstances that, uh, that happen to us from time to time. Uh, many of you know Gabe Martin. He's a connector here. And, uh, and the last couple of weeks, he's been struggling with walking pneumonia, and he's been to the emergency room a few times, and, uh, and it, it, he's just been having a really rough time. Uh, Gabe is a, is a, a, a war vet, a um, Middle East war vet, and uh, he has struggled with really significant PTSD since he's come home from the war, and, and he just struggles. And... Uh, and so he shared with me yesterday when I went to the hospital to visit him, he shared with me that uh, from the time that he got back from the war, he's been on a lot of pharmaceuticals. And uh, a couple of years ago, he made the decision that he was fed up with the drugs, he was fed up with the side effects, and instead of staying on his, his medical regimen, he decided to get rid of all the drugs and started using marijuana as a therapeutic remedy, he got his green card, all that stuff, and so he's been smoking a lot of marijuana. And those of you that know Gabe, you know he smokes a lot of marijuana. And he developed... Uh, walking pneumonia, and I want you to know, I asked his permission before I share this story with you. Uh, but he developed walking pneumonia, and he called me yesterday and uh, said he's admitting him 
actually it was a Friday, said he was admitting himself to the emergency room because he literally couldn't breathe. And so uh, he went to the emergency room. They put him in a hospital room. Yesterday he saw a pulmonologist, a lung doctor, and they began to diagnose what his problem is. And when I got to the hospital yesterday, the doctor had just left the room. And I said, I asked Gabe, what's the doctor said to you? And he said, Russ, you'll never, you'll never believe what the doctor said to me. And I said, what is it? He said, the doctor came in and he said to me, Gabe, you're going to have to stop smoking weed. And, uh, and Gabe said, well, what, what's up with that? And the doctor said, you've developed an allergy to marijuana. <laughs> How funny is that? I just laughed. I just stood there in the, ho- in, in the hospital room and I just laughed. An allergy to marijuana. I've never even heard of such a thing. And Gabe was pretty emotional about it, you know. And he said, Russ, I know God wants to change my life. I said, Gabe, this is one of those pivotal circumstances that I'm talking about. This is one of those pivotal circumstances. You can shake your fist at God and say, God, why are you taking this away from me? Or you can say, okay, God, you've got my attention, and I'm going to listen to what you want me to learn, and I'm going to do what you want me to do, right? So this morning before church, I I texted him, and I asked him if I could share his story. And uh, I I just want to read you the text that he sent back to me this morning. And those of you that know Gabe, you know he's raw. I'm just going to read what he wrote, okay? Please please don't, don't, uh, don't kill the messenger, all right? I'm just... I said, can I share with people about your weed allergy today? And he said, (laughs) he said, now listen, he said, yes, it's embarrassing, but it is what it is. I'm now being treated up here for pneumonia symptoms. He's in Helena now. And they are saying the weed allergy is a side effect to the real issue of walking pneumonia they feel is the real problem. I have surgery tomorrow and I plan on walking out of here by Tuesday. I refuse to lay here and be sick when I know that God can heal me if I step out of this situation and truly allow him to do what he does best. I have been writing all night, and I have some pretty profound things to share with you and possibly the rest of the church. I'm not taking this situation lying down and refuse to walk away from the true healer. I have seen people in the, in the past step out in faith with amazing results, and I will follow their steps to full recovery. Tell everyone I appreciate all prayers, and I will be back among my true family real soon. Damn it, now I'm crying. LOL. <laughs> And then he says, thank you so much, Russ Michaels, for showing me the love of the Father when I have been unlovable at times. I'm truly trying to be the man I know I can be, and I know I will be different after all of this is done. Pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. It's one of the five catalysts God uses to grow your faith. And last week, I finished up our teaching time by saying this to you. You can position yourself to benefit from these catalysts. In other words, these five things aren't necessarily things you do. You can't do a pivotal circumstance. You can't do a providential relationship. But you can position yourself so that when God brings these things into your life, your faith can grow big. And that's what he wants to do in your life. And so today I want to talk to you about the catalyst of practical biblical teaching. All right? Uh, 
I can remember my very first encounter with really great practical Bible teaching. I grew up in a very traditional, small, Pentecostal church in Great Falls. And it was a kind of church where whenever the pastor got up to, to preach, there was a lot of yelling and there was a lot of Bible thumping and there was a lot of pulpit pounding uh, because that's pretty much what was effective in those days. And, and I loved my pastor. He was my pastor from the time I was about four years old until I graduated from high school. To this day, he's a dear family friend. Uh, I, I do remember in high school and, and in junior high, I was a part of what was called a Bible quiz team. It was a program that our church had. And it, it, was, a, it was a competition thing where teenagers would memorize huge amounts of Bible, and then we would go to quiz meets. It was kind of like a Jeopardy game, but a little bit different. But we would go and we would have these quiz matches where they would ask you questions, and the first one to buzz in and give the correct answer would get a point, and it was a big competition thing. But I was memorizing all of this scripture, but there was absolutely no focus on application and learning to do what we were studying, right? So what Bible quiz did for me is it just fed into my competitiveness. And I would go to these games, to these meets, and I was just mean and sarcastic and cutthroat. And, and I can remember specific matches in which I knew that I had given the wrong answer, but I thought I could get the point on a technicality that one of the judges or officials had done. And I would fight to the death to get my point, even though I was wrong about what the Bible said. You see, for me, at that point in my life, it was just all about accumulating knowledge, right? And there had really not been any transformation in my life from what I was learning about the Bible. Now, fast forward to after I left home and I moved to Seattle, I enrolled in a Bible college out in Seattle. And for the first time, I attended a church in which the pastor was teaching the Bible for the purpose of helping people change their lives. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget, I'll never remember, I'll never forget, never forget walking for the first time into neighborhood church in Bellevue. And Pastor Jack Roselle, I attended that church for several years during my Bible school years. And Pastor Jack Roselle changed my life because of the way he taught the Bible. And in those days, it was before we had computers and projectors and, and all this fancy stuff. You know, I was just used to these traditional churches with a big giant pulpit and a huge Bible, you know. And I walked into this church, and here's Pastor Jack, and he's got a screen. I'd never seen a screen in church before. And he had the latest technology. It was an overhead projector. <laughs> it was awesome. And while he was teaching from the Bible, he would write on the overhead projector and he would draw pictures or, or illustrations. And, and for me, it was like life-giving because for the first time, he was connecting with me on my level and I would walk out of that church with something I could do, something that was practical enough for me to change my life. It was from Pastor Jack Roselle that I learned how to pray. I had grown up in church. I'd had Sunday schools and Sunday school teachers and pastors who had told me for years that you need to pray, you need to pray, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray. But Pastor Jack taught me how to pray, and he changed my life. A few years later, I was attending another church on the east side uh, called Eastside Foursquare Church. Pastor Doug Muren uh, was, was another one of those Bible teachers that was intensely practical uh, he was the first pastor that I really remember sitting under that used a lot of humor and sarcasm 
and snarkiness. We didn't know what snarkiness was then, uh, but he was snarky. And, and it was a communication method that, that I connected to. And uh, from Pastor Doug, I learned the value of the mission and that Jesus was sending me out to help people reconnect with God. Pastor Doug Murin changed my life because his teaching was intensely practical. Instead of being knowledge-focused, the teaching of these men was application-focused. And I don't know exactly what your church experience was like. I know many of you. We've got lots of people that have come out of like Catholic churches and a bunch of Dutch Reformed people, Reformed Dutch Reformed people, right, around here. And uh, lots of you have had different church experiences. Some of you, this is the only church you've known, and you think that everything that happens here is perfect, right? And I'm sorry that you're disillusioned, but whatever. Um, But many of you have come from churches where it was all about knowledge, right? And you went through confirmation class, and you memorized this, and you memorized that, and at the end, you put on a little white dress, and you got to, you know, you graduated or whatever you do, and it was all about what you know, and could you test through the material? And here's my observation. The problem in the American church, in a large percentage of churches, is that there's a contentment to just cover the material. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a contentment to just get through the story, get through the lesson, just read it and be done with it. But listen, when Jesus taught, when Jesus opened up the Old Testament to teach, it was different. When Paul opened up the scriptures to teach, it was different. What was different? They taught for the purpose of application, not just knowledge. They taught for the purpose of application, not just knowledge. Now, if you've got a Bible with you today, or if you've got a fake Bible like mine, uh, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 7, which is where we're going to camp out for a little while today. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to read a part of the teaching of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just give you a little background of, uh, about what we're going to be reading together. Matthew chapter 7 is part of a larger teaching of Jesus that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been in church for any length of time or if you've read the New Testament, you've seen the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. It's one teaching on the part of Jesus, and he was teaching a large group of people. And it was focused on doing, not just knowing. And if I could summarize the whole Sermon on the Mount, it would probably be something like this. If you have big faith in God, here's what you need to do, all right? If I could just put my words into Jesus' mouth, he would say, if you have big faith in God, here's what you would do. And he painted lots of pictures about what this would look like. He was very practical. He was very specific. For instance, he said, if somebody asks you to walk with them for a mile, you should, you probably know this, go the extra mile. Walk two miles with them. Don't just do the minimum requirement, but go beyond the minimum requirement. That was Jesus' idea. Nobody else's. That was what Jesus said. He said this, if somebody has wronged you, 
if you've been injured or something bad has happened to you, the Old Testament scriptures relied on a very common law of the Middle East that was called the Lex Talionis. The Lex Talionis was a law that said if somebody pokes your eye out, you may poke their eye out in return. It was called an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that, right? And it was a very important law because what would happen if you didn't have laws like this is, you know, somebody would cause you to uh, injure your finger. So in retaliation, you would chop their finger off and then they would feel like you went too far. So they would chop your hand off. And then pretty soon somebody loses an arm and then somebody loses their head and somebody's dead, right? And that process of retaliation was totally destructive. And so uh, Middle Eastern cultures, including the Jews, had this lex talionis rule that said, if you lose an eye, you may take an eye in return. If you lose a tooth, you can take a tooth in return. Jesus said, you've heard that law, but what I'm going to say to you is don't take anything at all. Just let them off the hook. Forgive them. Totally revolutionary in the history of the world when Jesus taught on this. He went, in, he went on to sexuality. And this is where it got really tough. Of course, all of his hearers knew the Old Testament teaching on sexuality, that anything outside of sex between a married man and a married woman was considered sin. And their culture was not unlike ours. Our culture, even our Christian culture, uh, it's kind of like this. People ask me all the time, I want to know where the line is, right? Where's the line? I want to go to heaven, but I'm going to dance right up to that line, right? And, and um, I want to get away with everything I can get away with and still uh, be a Christian. I, I want to go to heaven, so uh, where's the line? Everybody's always asking me, where's the line? I'm sure Jesus had those same conversations. What was Jesus' response? He, he, he said, listen, it's not about where the line is. It's not about how much you can get away with. Here's a new idea. Jesus said, don't even lust. Don't even let the thought come into your mind. Be so diligent that the thoughts aren't even there. Holy smokes, right? (laughs) Listen, by that definition, we're all broken, right? But Jesus wasn't about minimum requirement. Jesus was about, let's, let's take this thing and go with it to, its, to as far as we can. He taught on teaching. And of course, the Jews knew all about tithing. They gave 10%. They were very vigilant about that. Uh, Jesus said this, and you can look it up if you don't believe me. Jesus said, you should tithe, yes. But that's minimum requirement. If you really want to have big faith in God, give as much as you can. For a lot of us, 10% is like, whoa, God wants me to do what? You've got to be kidding me. Jesus was saying, that's minimum requirement. Give it all away. The people that he admired and pointed out to his followers were the little old lady that took her whole life savings and dumped it into the treasury pot. The whole thing. That was what Jesus was focused on. And, and, And he was telling his disciples in this Sermon on the Mount, this is what it looks like to have big faith. You know, you can live your life by minimum requirements or you can have big faith. God wants to grow your faith big. But it's all about applying what you learn. Now, here's the big idea that I want you to leave with today. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Here's the big idea. 
It's what you do, not just what you know. It's what you do, not just what you know. All right, you got your Bible? Wave your Bible and your fake Bibles at me, all of you that are following along. All right, excellent. Here we go. Verse 24 in Matthew chapter 7. In case you don't have a Bible or a fake Bible, it is up on your screen. Here's what Jesus says. He's wrapping this teaching up and he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In other words, friends, if you want God to show up in your world, then you've got to do the things that Jesus has challenged us to do. But the problem here in our American culture is that we kind of grade ourselves on church attendance, right? We don't really grade ourselves on whether or not we're doing what Jesus has called us to do. We just grade ourselves on how often we go to church. Like if you go to church every Sunday for three or four months, then you get an A, right? Or if you only miss one or two a year, boy, you're doing really good. For some of you, you just come on Easter and Christmas, and because you're here in the middle of September, you're feeling really, really good about yourselves. And... Um, and we grade ourselves on church attendance, but Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about that. It's about doing what I've called you to do. If you want your life to change, Jesus would say, it's a result of listening to practical teaching and then doing what you've been called to do. It's big faith. It's saying, Jesus, I trust you. Now listen, in my life, I've spent years learning all about nutrition, okay? I know all about paleo diets. I know the Atkins diet. I know, you know, I know what's good for me. I know what's bad for me, okay? It's all up here. But my challenge is putting down the donut, right? It's not a matter of knowing. It's a matter of doing. Same thing with exercise, okay? I've belonged to gyms. I've had gym. I've belonged to the Ridge for a number of years since I've lived here. Had a personal trainer for several years, you know? And uh, I, I, listen, I, I know what to do. I can do lunges. I can do squats. I, I can do triceps. I can do push-ups and sit-ups and all that kind of stuff. And I know all that in my brain, but it's not going to help me run a 5K if I never get out of bed in the morning, Right? And if I don't pay attention to what I know, if I don't do what I know about nutrition and exercise, I'm just going to be a big blob all my life, right? And you know that's true in your life. The same is true about all the rest of this stuff that, that Jesus teaches us about. It's not a matter of doing. It's really a matter of doing. And Jesus would say to all of us in this room today, he would say, thanks for showing up today. I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for listening. But you might as well have gone fishing if you don't leave these doors and do what I'm telling you to do. I really do think that's what Jesus would say. Let's keep reading from Matthew. Verse 25. It says, the rain fell and the floods came. and The winds blew and beat on the house. You remember that old Sunday school song? The rains fell down and the... Yeah, that's just bringing back bad memories. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. That was a Sunday school song. For those of you that were raised in church, we sang those songs. Remember, deep and wide, deep and wide. I never could figure out what that song was even about, but we sang it every single Sunday, you know. Really? Deep and wide? Does it say the love of God? I don't know. I stopped after deep and wide. I don't know. Okay. The rain fell, the floods came up, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded. It had been, it had been built. The foundation was on the rock, right? What is Jesus saying? The, the house didn't fall because the builder did the right thing. The builder listened and learned, and then he did the right thing. And now, this is true about your relationships. It's true about your finances. It's true about your morals. You can come to church, and you can sit in a chair every single week, and you can absorb all this stuff. You can know all this stuff. But if you don't do it, it benefits you nada, nothing. For God to show up in real and tangible ways in your life and in mine, you have to do what you learn. Now, let's see what Jesus says. Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, who's he talking to here? People who just show up, right? Everyone who hears and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What's Jesus saying? He's saying you can have 100% church attendance, be here every single Sunday for a year, and still be a fool. Jesus' words, not mine. You can build a financial home, you can invest your money, you can save, you can do all these kinds of things, but if you don't follow the guidelines of God's word... It's not going to be blessed. You can build a dating life. You can build a family life, a marriage, whatever you want to build in your life. You can build these structures. But if it's not built based upon doing the clear instructions of God's word, when the storms come, you're going to have a disaster in your life. And someday you're going to wake up and you're going to say, God, how could this happen? I go to Connect Church. And the answer that Jesus is going to say to you is that attendance doesn't make a difference. Knowledge doesn't make a difference. Accumulating information doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference in your life, listen, is obedience. It's not about showing up. It's about doing what you hear when you're here. Verse 27, Jesus goes on. The rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Okay, now I saw that, I saw that news piece, and, and the first thing that came to my mind is, whose brilliant idea was it to build a bunch of condominiums on a sandy cliff, right? 
I mean, it's not rocket science. I'm not an architect. I'm not an engineer. But I, I know better than to put up a bunch of condominiums on a cliff overlooking the ocean made of sand, right? I mean, you don't even have to know the Bible to know that's really dumb, right? <laughs> I thought back to when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Remember that a few years ago? And at that time, I didn't know much about New Orleans. I just knew New Orleans was Mardi Gras city, right? And so when, when all the flooding it was in the news, I began to learn about, about New Orleans. And, and I was shocked to learn that New Orleans is situated between the Gulf of Mexico and, and on the other side is Lake Pontchartrain. And New Orleans is built, it's a city built below sea level. Between the Gulf of Mexico and Lake Pontchartrain. They've built walls around Lake Pontchartrain so that they could reclaim more land, so that people could live where there's supposed to be a lake. Okay, now I want to know whose bright idea that was, right? And when the whole place flooded and it was a disaster, I thought, you know, the best thing that could happen would be for all those people to pick up and move to a new place and rebuild their lives in another place. And what did... What did the insurance industry and the government do? They went in and they just built more walls and kept building right there below sea level. Like, really? Okay. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and we can all look at these things, the, the builder who built on the cliff and, and the people. And if you're from New Orleans, I apologize. I know you love your city. And, and, and I don't mean to be insulting. Uh, but, but listen, isn't this how we live our lives so many times? We don't do what we know we should do, and then we wonder why it all crumbles. It's because, it's because we think that what is fundamentally true in the world for everybody else will never affect us. And Jesus said, you know what? You can show up. You can listen. But if you don't do, you're going to be like this foolish man whose house ended up in the ocean. Verse 28 says this. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, the teachers of the law that the Jews were accustomed to hearing were all about knowledge. They were all about accumulating information. But nobody's life ever changed. But God says to us today, when you express faith through obedience, I'm going to show up in big ways. When you walk out of your seat and come down to receive prayer, I'm going to show up and heal you of asthma. That's what God does. And this is how practical teaching can position you to grow huge faith. Now listen, I don't consider myself to be a spiritual giant, and I don't share this story with you to somehow make myself appear like I've got everything all together because I don't. But practical teaching has changed my life in, in several significant ways. And one of the ways was some teaching that Chris and I purposely exposed ourselves to when we were newly married. Uh, I was almost 32 years old when I got married. And, uh, and I was a Bible school graduate. I was a pastor. And uh, I, I knew a lot of things. But as soon as I got married to Chris, I realized I have no clue what the Bible says about marriage. And I knew that more than anything else, I wanted my marriage to be blessed, and so I wanted to know the principles by which I should live my life with my new wife. 
And so Chris and I decided that we would lead a Bible study. It was a precept Bible study called Marriage Without Regrets. And some of you know the precept upon precept Bible studies. They're authored by Kay Arthur. She's a wonderful, practical Bible teacher. And when we announced that we were going to lead this Marriage Without Regrets Bible study, a lot of people just scoffed at us. You've been married two months and you're going to lead a Bible study? I mean, who do you think you are, right? And it wasn't about us teaching anybody all the truths that we'd learned in two months. It was I wanted to learn, right? And the format of the Bible study was there was five hours of homework studying the scriptures inductively for 16 weeks. It was exhaustive from Genesis to Revelation, exhaustive study on marriage, five weeks of homework every week, and then we'd get together for two weeks or for two hours, once a week with our class, we would talk about what we'd learned, and then we would watch K. Arthur teach for an hour on video. And let me tell you, it was one of the smartest things Chris and I ever did. Because that practical teaching taught me how to be a good husband. Like I say, I don't do everything perfect. I make lots of mistakes. But I learned a lot about how to treat my wife. For instance, I learned that the Bible talks a whole lot more about husbands laying down their lives and serving their wives than it does about husbands demanding that their wives submit to them. Popular Christian culture teaches that husbands are the heads of their home and the wife has to submit. And by golly, if you don't submit, you're in sin and the husband better beat his wife over the head until she submits, right? I figured out real quick from studying the scriptures, that's a bad idea. And it's not even really what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, husbands, serve your wives the way Jesus serves the church. Lay down. And so from the very beginning, we we built good habits into our marriage. And we've been blessed. Our marriage isn't perfect, but we've been blessed. Because we've been exposed from the beginning to great practical biblical teaching. We positioned ourselves in in, in a place where we could benefit from teaching that would help us do the right things. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is why most Sundays I give you next steps on on your cards. This Sunday is an exception, but most of the time I give you something to do. Today I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to tell you what to do before you walk out. But, uh, you know, I I teach here at Connect in a specific way because I want you to hear the truth, and then I want you to go home and do it. And you know what? We have people that come to Connect all the time, and they don't like it here. And, And a lot of them don't stay very long. One of the reasons, you know, that I hear sometimes is the music is too loud. And I get that. So we have earplugs back there for those of you that the music is too loud. You can pick up some earplugs. That helps a little bit. But one of the complaints I get a lot of times is they don't like the way I teach. They think I'm irreverent. They, they think that I'm just too homey or I'm, uh, you know, I'm not holy and, you know, I, I don't take that position. And, and some people, they're looking for a church where everything is just quiet and silent and meditative and really comfortable. You know what? Anytime you open the Bible, it ought to make you squirm. Anytime you open the Bible, anytime you hear good Bible preaching, it ought to make you mad. It ought to stir something up in you. That's the way Jesus taught. Think about it. Do you know what it says in Luke chapter 4? It says that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and when the people heard his teaching, they were filled with wrath. Okay? They weren't just a little annoyed. They were full of wrath. And it says they rose up, 
drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. I hope, friends, listen, I hope you get mad at me most Sundays. I hope that I make you so uncomfortable. I hope that something that I teach makes you so angry or fills you with guilt or makes you feel shameful or makes you angry. Something that's going to motivate you to walk out of here a changed person. And you know one of my axioms, I say it all the time, no guilt, just love, right? But sometimes the scriptures are going to make you feel guilty. And I say, bring it. Because when we feel guilt, it's one of the catalysts that's going to make us walk out into the world and live our lives differently. They motivate us. And friends, you need to be in an environment where the Bible disturbs you. You need to be in that environment where the Bible disturbs you. I love it when people come up to me after I'm done teaching and say, Pastor Russ, you were wrong, and I'm going to show you why. I say, listen, let's open our Bibles together. Let's find out what it says. I love it. I love it when people get stirred up. Amy Fiel is sitting right down here, and I asked her if I could use her as an example this morning. And lots of you know Amy. She's been with us for quite a long time. She's a, she's a connector. And uh, those of you that know Amy, you know that she loves to laugh. She loves to be the life of the party. And anytime she's around, we just have a really good time. But what you probably don't know about Amy is she's got this huge bubble. I talk about bubbles sometimes. Amy's bubble is giant, right? And, uh, and, and although Amy has a great sense of humor and she's the life of the party a lot of times, what I know that a lot of you probably don't know is really inside, Amy is an introvert. She's not an extrovert. She's very much an introvert. And a few weeks ago when I was teaching on our core values at Connect Church, one of the values that I was teaching on was relationships. Some of you were here, you remember that talk. And, uh, and, and I shared with you that at Connect, we want nobody to be nameless and faceless. We want people to feel loved. We want people to feel cared about. And we need to work together as a church to make sure that everyone is loved and touched and, 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 and felt like they're part of a church family. And I was very passionate that Sunday. Amy was living with me and Chris at the time, and um, we got home that afternoon, and Amy was sitting at the breakfast bar. And she looked at me, and she raised one eyebrow, and she said, that little speech of yours surely generated a lot of friendliness. <laughs> she didn't like what I stirred up on that Sunday, because she's got a Bible, a, a bubble and a Bible. Uh, <laughs> She's got a bubble, and, and, and she's an introvert. And when people she didn't know came up and were hugging her and touching her and saying, my name is Dave, and she's like, I don't care if your name is Dave. And, and I, she didn't like it, right? And, and you know what? When, when we got home and we started talking about it, I didn't apologize to Amy. I said, good. Because God is using that as a catalyst to grow you, Amy. And for all of us, it, it, for each one of us, it's something different each Sunday, but but uh, read the book of Acts. Read the Gospels. Paul got people all worked up. Jesus got people all worked up. And sometimes when I teach friends, you're going to get mad at me, and that's just where you need to be. Why? Because obedience is the intersection of your faith and God's faithfulness. When you obey, no matter how difficult it is, you're going to find that God meets you right there with his faithfulness and your, your faith, your trust in God is going to grow big, real big. 
And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe God is calling you to step out of your comfort zone and start giving generously. Maybe today God is saying to you, some of you, you know what? Your, your sexual relationships are outside of God's boundaries. And, and some of you today are going to say, you know what? I, I have to take a step of faith. And I'm, I'm going to try to meet God at that intersection, right? You know what you're going to find? Those, those of you that aren't keeping your sexuality inside of the boundaries of God's word, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that when you meet God at that intersection, that even though you think that if you don't have sex on a regular basis, that things aren't going to explode or fall off, your head isn't going to erupt, okay? We've been sold a bill of goods in our culture, about sexuality, that we've got to have it. And if I don't have it all the time, I'm going to die. It's not true. Step out in faith and be obedient to what God says, and he's going to meet you there, and you're going to find out something good is going to happen to you, whether it's your morals or it's your marriage or it's your finances or whatever it is, the way you raise your kids, whatever it is for you, God is going to meet you, and he's going to be faithful, and you're going to see your faith grow big. But how do you get there? It comes when you're in an environment where you're exposed to practical teaching And then you go out of here and you apply it. If you don't, Jesus says, you're like the person that built the condominiums on the sandy cliff. Matthew 7, 24, let me read it one more time. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Will you put your things aside? Today, I feel like before we go, many of us today just need to do something practical as a first step towards saying, God, I'm going to obey you in a specific area of my life. And uh, last week, I had many of you come forward for prayer, and it was a powerful, significant time. Today, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something a little bit differently. But today if you have had this nagging feeling in the pit of your stomach or in your heart or your mind, and you've heard this voice saying, you need to change this or you need to do this, whatever it is for you, if that's going through your mind today, some of you probably just have this queasy feeling in your gut. I would venture to say that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And he's saying, listen, I need you to do something. It's time for you to stop just relying on knowledge and faith and your confession of salvation. It's time for you to be blessed by doing. If that's you, then I want to ask you this morning to participate by doing what I'm going to ask you to do. So to, to begin with, can I just have everybody close your eyes all over this room? I want to give everyone as much privacy as, as we can. But if it's time for you to do what God is calling you to do, I want to pray for you, but I want to ask you to stand quietly right where you are. I'm not going to make you move or call you forward, but you know that you have to do something. First step today, stand so that I can pray for you.
Okay, people are already standing all over the room. And uh, I just want to pray very specifically for everybody that is feeling the Holy Spirit call them to do something. Thank you. People are still standing. I know for some of us it's tough. But you're moving towards that intersection where God's faithfulness is going to grab you. He's not going to let you fall. He's not going to let you fail. Anybody else before I pray? Thank you. Thank you. Still standing. This is awesome. Nobody looking around, please. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the courage of these 40 or so people who have stood in this room to say, Jesus, I'm taking the first step of obedience by standing to signify, yes, I'm going to do it. For those of us that are standing today, Lord, it's, it's not about head knowledge anymore. It's not just about church attendance anymore. Today we're saying, I'm going to take action. And I know, Jesus, that when we walk out of this room, we're going to hear lots of voices saying, that was just the emotion of a moment. It was, you don't really have to do it. We're going to be confronted with the fear and the uncertainty of moving into new territory. Jesus, I want to pray right now for every person standing, Jesus, that you will change our intentions, change our hearts, help us to love obedience instead of loving complacency, help us to love righteousness instead of loving sin, and Jesus, change us and empower us by the Holy Spirit to do exactly what you're calling us to do in this moment. Every one of us has a, an image in our head or a word on our lips that we, we know what you're asking us to do. Now, Jesus, help us to walk out of this room changed and ready to obey. Now, while your eyes are still closed, I want to ask everybody in the room, please stand with me. Everybody in the room, please stand. And Jesus, for all of us today who have heard this message, I want to pray, God, that you will help us to grow big faith. Lord, help us to be faithful to position ourselves into places where we receive great practical teaching. And Lord, help us not to be accumulators of just knowledge, but help us, Lord, to be people who do what you call us to do. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.